0: This morning, we continue our journey through Ephesians with Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. In this passage, Paul is talking to the Ephesian church about how he is praying for them. There's something pretty awesome about prayer. Like, it's it's how we communicate with God, but it's also how God communicates with us. Often we we think of prayer as a way to communicate with God our desires, right? Tell Him about our our pain, our need. And, And it is that. But it's also much more than that. Richard Koken, in his commentary on Ephesians, makes this statement. Prayer isn't about providing for ourselves or our church like taking cash from a cash machine. It's about maintaining our relationship with our Heavenly Father. As we pray, God shapes us, he affects us in in such a way that prayer becomes less about us and more about him. He tells us that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and, and effective, but it's not about getting God to submit to us, but about submitting everything to God. Let us think on that, let us ponder that as we read our text this morning. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened In the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word today, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. So any of us this morning ever done any road tripping like gone on like a nice long like some often like ridiculously long drive we uh Karen and i i mean we have we got a bunch of kids right we got like the five boys we we can 't fly I only have so many kidneys i 'm not selling them so that we can fly like like one time and, and so we, we drive like that that 's just what we have to do and there's like road trips they they can be fantastic. But towards the end of a road trip, like you're you're pretty much ready for that puppy to end. Especially when you got like a bunch of kids and a dog in the car and everyone's just like, Alright, it's time. It's time to be a grandma grandpa's, like it's time to be there. So this summer we, we road tripped across the country and then and then we road trip and that's like forty-four hours one way. It's ridiculous. I I don't recommend it. I'll put it that way. And I I don't know when the next time I'm going to do that again is. But let me tell you, there is something just wonderful about arriving. (laughs) About getting to where you've been anticipating going, where you've been putting in these miles to going, you know, getting there. Sometimes that lasts like. Hour and a half is the worst hour and a half of the whole trip because you know you're almost there, and the anticipation is building, and the kids are beginning to like recognize like landmarks and like, ah, we're almost there. And then they get crazy, we all get crazy. But there's something about arriving, about getting to mom and dad's house on the way there, and really the best arrival. Hopefully, my parents aren't listening to this. But my the best arrival is this uh, when I get home, man, I get home, I get to sit on my couch. I get to put my feet up, I get to sleep in my own bed. Like there's just something wonderful about arriving. It's wonderful to get to mom and dad's house and my mom is playing with the kids and they're out of our hair and I get a nice cold Coke and I get to sit in the back lawn in the shade and smell like the pine trees of Washington. The nostalgia, you know, I get to just take in the nostalgia a little bit. There's something wonderful about arriving. Getting to where you want to go. Getting to where you've been working towards. Or just dealing with life until until you get something wonderful about arrival. And this this idea of arrival has become a bit of a theme in our culture today. Arriving, getting to where we want to go. In in March 2016, or in the, the 2016 March edition of Sports Illustrated, they had Patrick Kane, a hockey player for the Chicago Blackhawks on the cover, with the title the NHL's best player has arrived. He wasn't a rookie. He wasn't even truly an unknown, but he had finally reached the place where he was at his ceiling. He was as good as he was expected to be, which was really, really, really good. He had finally achieved the status that expectations had, had had built him up for, that they had demanded. He had put in the time, right? He'd gone to the gym. He'd done the work. He'd studied the film. He'd practiced his nimbleness with the hockey stick. He had spent a ton of time bettering himself, working on himself, getting to the point where finally he met the expectations that the fans had for him, that the league had for him. He had arrived. Justin Tranter is a songwriter that lives also in Chicago. It's just Ironic to me that the two illustrations I was able to like, readily find were both from Chicago. I don't think this is just a Chicago thing. I know I have heard this phrase in, in many other areas of life, but Justin Tranter is a songwriter that lives in Chicago, and this past week, the Chica- Chicago Tribune put out an article on him, and it detailed the hard life that he had lived, right? The, the bullying he had endured in middle school and high school as a, as a gay music geek, The bullying got so bad that he transferred to the Chicago Academy for the Arts during his freshman year, and there he found a place he felt he belonged, a place he felt he fit in, and he promised himself he would give back to this place that had been such an encouragement to him. Tranter graduated and went on to be a songwriter for some of today's well-known pop artists. He is the writer behind Bad at Love by Halsey, Believer by Imagine Dragons, and Sorry by Justin Bieber. Some of us may not be familiar with some of those names, but I think a few of us might be. They have dominated, like, those songs, like, dominated pop music for the past, like, year and a half in in, in many areas. He's the songwriter. The article talks about how Tranter, to give back to the school that gave him a safe place to learn and grow, donated a state-of-the-art recording studio to the Chicago Academy for the Arts just a couple of weeks ago. And the article, the title for this article is... For bullied teen from bullied teen to Justin Bieber songwriter Justin Tranter has arrived and he's bringing Chicago kids with him. Justin Tranter has arrived. He's reached the peak. The big names in the industry want him to write their songs for them because he's good at what he does. He's earned it. He's worked his way up. He has He's gone through the journey. He's reached the peak. He's arrived. And man, there is something nice about arriving. The long miles are behind us. The unappreciated hard work is behind us. We've arrived. We've come into our own. We've reached the mountaintop. The journey is behind us. A question for each of us here in church this morning Changing gears a little bit, but in a spiritual sense, do we feel like we've arrived? I'm not asking about, you know, professional life or, or personal life. Some of us may have arrived professionally, right? Reached the goals that we set for ourselves when we started our job or received our training in college or wherever we received it. We may have reached the top of our company or we may have enough in the bank so that we can comfortably retire or whatever it may be, whatever that, that goal that you had set may be. Many of us are not there yet and, and are waiting for that day, that day when we you know, have arrived at the professional and material goals that we have set for ourselves. And some of us may feel that we have arrived in our personal lives, right? Like we met and married the love of our life and are living together comfortably. Maybe for you, arriving is having kids. Maybe for you it's not having kids. Maybe for you, arriving is not getting married. It's totally fine. And many of us are, you know, we're still trying to figure out what arriving means for us in our personal and our relational lives. That's okay. That's okay. I'm just pointing out that some of us feel like, at least in some areas of our lives that we have arrived, and the rest of us, we have a pretty good picture or at least an idea of what it's going to mean for us someday to arrive in a professional, material, personal, relational Way. But I'm not asking in a professional, material, personal, relational way. I'm asking in a spiritual sense, do we feel like we've arrived? Some of you are Christians this morning, and you're saying to yourself, yeah, I've, I've arrived. I know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, and I believe that he lived and he died and that in his death he carried my sins to the cross and paid the price that i could not and because of his work my sins have been forgiven and because of my faith in him i can have a relationship with the father and i will spend eternity with god the father god the son and god the holy spirit in heaven praising his glory and so you feel that you've arrived because of faith you've arrived some of you are not christians Yet spiritually, you feel like, like you have also arrived, or at least have a pretty good idea of what arriving looks like. You may or may not believe that there is a God. If there is, you're pretty confident that you've been good enough in life to get to heaven. And if there isn't, then you just become dust when you die anyway, and you're pretty comfortable with that. So, though it may not be as big a deal to you as it is to the Christian to have arrived spiritually, you feel pretty good about where you're at. Do we feel like we've arrived spiritually? I've been, I've been wrestling with this concept of arriving spiritually all week. As I've been poring over our passage this morning, I've been struck by what may be a better question, and that question is can we arrive spiritually? Can we? Can we? I don't think we can. And I think our passage this morning tells us that we can't as Christians and non-Christians. We have based our spiritual arrival on faith for the Christian. It's I believe in Jesus and therefore I'm a Christian. Therefore, I have arrived. There's nothing more for me to do for the non-Christians. It's I believe in what I believe in and I'm, I'm comfortable in that faith in that belief. Therefore, I have arrived. And is that it? Is spiritual arrival simply faith? Let's look at our text this morning. Verses 15 to 16, we read, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul recognizes their faith. He thanks God for their faith and for how they are acting on that faith, how they are treating their neighbors, how they are living out the gospel. Paul prays for them that they would have wisdom and revelation from God and that this wisdom and revelation would have the effect of, in verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. He prays that the eyes of their hearts would be opened, that they might understand what their hope is, the hope to which he has called them. So we read that and we instantly think faith. We instantly think faith, but but Paul is praying that God would give them faith, that he would open the eyes of their hearts to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And Paul affirms this when he writes in verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So why is Paul praying that the Ephesians would have the eyes of their hearts opened to the hope that God has called them to and the immeasurable greatness of what God has done on their behalf through Jesus Christ if they already have faith? If they already believe, if they've already arrived as we view that. Because here in this life on earth, we never arrive spiritually. We can't get to the point where we can sit back and relax, drink that Coke, pop our feet up in the shade, and be like, I'm good. There an opportunity for complacency in our spiritual walk because God has not called us to relaxation and he has not called us to complacency. When we think of arrival, we think of getting to the point where now I have the opportunity to rest. The hard work is behind me. I've done what I need to do and that is not how God calls us in this walk. He calls us into a deeper and more full relationship with Him. Believing in Him and His promises and the work of Jesus on the cross is not where the calling ends. It's not where the journey ends. God is calling us deeper. His Spirit is continually working on us, opening the eyes of our hearts that we might understand the riches and the greatness of of who he is and what he has done and how much he loves us and that we might grasp these truths in a deeper, fuller way. God calls us into a deeper relationship with him for our own benefit. That we might grasp even more fully the love that he has for us, the grace that he has poured out over us And as our relationship with God grows, it is not just us personally who are edified, who are fed, who are blessed, but it is the whole body. For as we get to know Jesus better, as he works his power in us, he gives us a burden for our neighbor. He calls us, burdens us for his mission. He longs to use each of us in his mission to bring about his kingdom. And all of this, this growing, this deepening of knowledge by the working of God in our lives. He is the one who has called us. He is the one who is working in us. He is the one who is sanctifying us, who is causing us to look and act more and more like him. These are not things that that we are able to do. Paul highlights this in Galatians 3, 3, where he writes, Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You were converted by the power of the Spirit. You became a Christian by the power of the Spirit. Do you now think that you will be able to stand, to improve on your own, to go deeper on your own, to know God better on your own, by your own works or by your own hand? No. Of course we can't. Having begun by the Spirit, we continue to be shaped and changed by the Spirit. It's not something we can do on our own. In fact, we are the ones who push against being perfected by the Spirit. Not only can we not physically make ourselves to be more like God, to get to know Him better, to delve into the secrets To understand grace and forgiveness in a more deep and full way. Not only can we not make ourselves understand that we are the ones who resist the Spirit for making us more like Him. For we all have our old nature. We still have that part of us that rebels against what God is calling calling us to that says, No, man, I'm, I'm good enough. I can do it myself our old nature that continually closes its eyes to the things of God, the old nature that gives us heavy eyelids towards spiritual things, towards the things that God is calling us to. And so without the intervention of the Spirit, the eyes of our hearts are clouded. We see the fear and doubt. We see the pain and trouble. We see, as the ten spies did, what God is calling us, to see like Caleb. When the Israelites were out in the desert, they'd, they'd gotten, they were set free from, from Egypt, from their slavery, and they're wandering in the desert, and the time has come for them to take the promised land. And Moses sends 12, 12 spies out to spy out this land of Canaan, right? And, and one from each of the, of the 12 tribes of, of Israel. And so these, these 12 spies go out and they all see the same things, right? Their, their, their eyes take in all the same things. And when they come back to report to Moses and Moses says, so can we do it? Are we ready to take the land? And, and 10 of the spies say, no way, man. There are giants in that country. That place is scary. There's no way we have the force to physically take this land, but two of them, Joshua and Caleb say, oh, yeah, we got this. This is totally where we need to be. And because of the ten, the Israelites turned around in fear and they were lost in the, they were lost in the desert for another like 40 years. Until that generation, the generation of doubt, had passed on. And the ones that went into the promised land were Caleb and Joshua. And there's, there's, a, there's a line in, in Joshua 14 when they're getting ready to, to go into the land. And Caleb again gives his report. He says, Joshua, I am ready. This is what I told Moses. He says, Caleb reports that he gave Moses, this is Joshua 14, 7. Caleb reports that he gave Moses a report from his convictions which if we translate that literally in the Hebrew, it's, I gave a report according to my heart. According to my heart. Caleb saw with his heart, as did Joshua. The ten spies who saw only fear and danger and insurmountable odds were not looking with their heart. They were looking with their fear, their insecurity, their lack of trust in God's plan for their lives, their lack of trust in general in, in God. In our passage today, Paul is praying for the hearts of the Ephesians to be opened, that they may grasp the overwhelming love and power and desire that God has for them. And that is my prayer for you as well, for all of us, for all Christians, that God would open the eyes of our hearts that we would grasp even more fully the love and desire that God has for us, that, that we would be overcome by the grace He has poured out on us. I pray with Paul in verse 17 to 20 that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. That God would increase your knowledge of him. That you may have the wisdom to interpret and understand that knowledge. And then picking up and again in 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. That you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might? For those who may not believe, I pray for you also that God would open the eyes of your heart,
1: that he would overwhelm you with
0: his love and desire for you, and that you would yield to his calling, that you would be baptized that you would receive the gift of faith, that you would be children of God, and that you also would grow into a deep and full relationship with Christ. As we grow deeper into Christ, we are united in Christ. Our passage today tells us that He is the head and that we, the church, are His body. In Christ, we as a church and as churches are united in Christ, and Christ calls us His body into mission. All denominations, all who believe in Him to be God who believed that he died and rose again and that because of him we have forgiveness of sins and saving faith. He calls us all his people and he calls all of his people, all of his children into mission. He calls us all to proclaim these truths, to live by these truths and to let his grace and love in our lives overflow in such a way that it affects our neighbor's lives. That the love of God might shine through us, might overflow from us and affect our neighbor in a mighty and powerful way. That their eyes might be opened, that they might come to the knowledge of the truth, that they might be saved. God does the work. We are his tools. Here on earth in our current state, as we battle against the old nature, the, you know, the part of us that longs to sin that longs to run from God as as the Spirit wages that war within us. We do not arrive spiritually, but one day we will. When this life is gone, someday when we are united with Christ in heaven, then we will arrive spiritually. And what a glorious day that will be. What a wonderful celebration. God will welcome us into his arms, into the best hug ever, and say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome home. What an amazing time to be able to fully grasp all that God desires for us to understand, to know fully how deep his love for us goes, and to be able to love him back more deeply and more sincerely than we could possibly imagine in our current state. What a wonderful, powerful, and amazing God we serve. Amen.